Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one, with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. It's Tuesday, January the 7th. I'm Andy Brassel. She's Jules Breach. And this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. From 3-0 down to 3-3 and a replay at Prenton Park. That is as good a cup-up set as you're probably going to see. This week, we're all suffering from FA Cup fever, or are we? There's a bit of a split in the room about that today. We'll also be talking about the January transfer window. Now it's open for business. Who needs what? And who are the most exciting players we expect to turn up in the Premier League? And, of course, we'll be getting to your lovely correspondence, which you can send more of us via Twitter, at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble. How's Christmas, Jules? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. I always think it gets to uh, a certain stage. And I know it's only the 7th of January, so we're only a week in. But I'm already thinking, is it too late to be saying Happy New Year? We What's bu- the rule? We bumped into Jim Campbell on the we way did. into the studio and we thought exactly the the same thing. He said it's okay until July, as long as you haven't <laughs> seen that person, <laughs> haven't didn't you? haven't seen them, it doesn't matter when you see them in the year, just say Happy New Year. Um, That's yeah, the plan. I, do you know, I had a lovely Christmas and New Year. It was um, really nice to have three days off over Christmas because I don't normally have Boxing Day off. Yes. Normally I'm working across the football, but thank you, Amazon. I got a day off, so that was quite nice. Um, so yeah, three days off, spent it with the family down in Brighton. Brighton, went up to Derby for a day as well. Um, and then New Year was, it's just really busy over this time because there's so much football, which mm. naturally means there's a lot of work on. Um, so I've been pretty nonstop other than those three days off. What about you? Busy with the kids? Well, I made the most of the European window mm. to, uh, yeah, have, have a most uh, best part of a week off, which is great. I think it's very civilised. thing. Very, very civilised. And, and, and I enjoyed it. Um, but of course, some of the European leagues restarting this weekend. But in England, just as in France, um, FA Cup weekend. Yes. And uh, you know what? When, especially when I'm watching the, the Coupe de France, which I think is an argument that that's actually now the, the, the best cup competition in the world because there's genuine excitement between, you know, you do get a lot of amateur clubs playing 
top flight clubs. Um, all the top flight clubs are away if they're they're playing low division opposition in the in in, in the first round, which is is well, it's actually in the ninth round. It starts really early, oh, really? like okay. like like the yeah, FA yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you get teams uh, coming over from you know French non-mainland as well like a team from La Réunion came over and and, and, and won oh, a game wow. you had Marseille being taken to penalties because there were no replays um, against a, a fourth division team of amateurs and they're second in the league at the moment and, uh, it, was, it was absolutely fantastic and it, it always makes me feel a little bit wistful that you get these kind of shocks in the Coupe de France and yeah, of course, there are some shock results. Uh, of course, I vividly remember Wimbledon West Ham from, from 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 last year. But people always have this conversation, don't they? At this time of the year, is the magic of the FA Cup still there? And you know, there were some magical moments. You know, you look at Tranmere coming back at Watford. Yep. You look at um, uh, Rochdale and four hundred year old Aaron Wilbraham scoring <laughs> against Newcastle United. But people still. A lot of people don't feel the same about the FA Cup. When I spoke to people last night when I was in at TalkSport, for example, quite a lot of them hadn't watched a lot of the FA Cup over the weekend, which surprised me a, a, a little bit. Uh, obviously, you were all over it this weekend, Jules. How, how do you feel about it? Well, I'm one of the people that's on the other side of the argument. I absolutely love the FA Cup. But... I don't know whether that's because I have very recent memories of my team doing very well in it. Mm. You know, last year, Brighton got to the semi-finals and... That day out at Wembley, despite the performance, it was it wasn't the best performance. We, you know, kept it really tight under Chris Hutton in the semi-final against Manchester City. We only narrowly lost. And when you then look at how much Man City battered Watford in the final, in hindsight, wasn't the worst choice of tactics from Chris Hutton at the time in the semis. And we did have the mm. chance to equalise in that game. But as a day out, as a spectacle, that was one of the special days that I will always remember as a football fan. Yes. I remember leading up to the semi-finals last year in the FA Cup and thinking there is nothing that will stop me from being at Wembley to watch Brighton play in the semi-finals against Manchester City. I was actually working at BT Sports Score that day because it was on a standard Saturday and it was a half-five kickoff. And I actually said to my producer and to my boss, I was like... So, uh, about Saturday's show, do I have to work? And they were like, <laughs> yes, George, you absolutely have to work. I was like, could I just like do it from Wembley? Is that possible? Can we just cross live to me for any Football League updates? Anything possible like that? And they were like, no, you need to be in the studio. So instead, what BT Sport did, which was very kind of them, they arranged for a motorbike. Ge this is genuinely serious. They arranged for a <laughs> motorbike to pick me up on the second that we went off air. This is very James Bond. Yeah, and uh, I trust me, I did not look like a Bond girl on the back of this motorbike. <laughs> I looked like an absolute state. Um, and they, they, they basically got a motorbike to zoom me over to Wembley so I could get there as quickly as possible. Because obviously London traffic, you get in a car, it'll take you hour, hour and a half to get to Wembley from East yeah, London, yeah. where BT Sport is, which is over in the Olympic Village. So yeah, instead they got me this motorbike. I was petrified, I have to say, absolutely 
petrified, got on the back of this bike and they put on all this gear on you. So I was wearing, like, it was obviously quite cold still. Yeah. I was wearing head to toe this kind of cloak thing, obviously a huge helmet. Like Darth Vader. It, on it, I, uh, there is a photo on my Instagram page. <laughs> if you want to scroll back to last year, you, you will find it. It's hideous. Um, but it got me there and I got there about 20 minutes into the first half. Right. Um, so I missed the Man City goal because they scored early on. So the game I saw was nil-nil. So I, <laughs> I didn't see my team lose. Uh, no, in all seriousness, I got there and the nerves were the nerves were really high, and I was I was panicking, and I was thinking, God, this is this is nerve wracking. Like, let's just get to get to half time one nil. You know, you're still in the game. Do, do you think to sort of really get you to fever pitch for that big match atmosphere everyone should go to FA Cup semi-finals by motorbike on the back of a motorbike yeah yeah definitely um but yeah at the end of the match it was a really special feeling because even though we'd lost and we'd gone out of the competition I don't think we ever expected to beat Manchester City but there's always that little bit of hope isn't there mm. and when you're playing at Wembley we had a huge amount of fans. The Man City fans didn't fill their section, but the Brighton fans did. And every single Brighton fan stayed until, I think, 15, 20 minutes after the, the full-time whistle and were applauding. They were waving their flags. The players stayed out on the pitch and were going around taking selfies with all the Brighton fans. And it was one of those moments where I actually just stood there and just looked around and thought, wow, this is a really amazing moment. And well, that's the thing. Sometimes you have to appreciate the journey, not just the yeah. destination, don't you? I, th I think that's, that's really important. I mean, I, I wanted to ask you, actually, before we go deeper into this, mm. um, the idea of having the semifinals at Wembley, I mean, obviously that started as a commercial necessity. I'm not trying to take your day at Wembley away from you. <laughs> don't take it he's, away. He's, he's off, all right? But um, for, for me... I'm not in favour of the FA Cup semi-finals being at Wembley. I, the, the worst thing, I think, is where teams tweet, after winning the quarter-final, we're going to Wembley. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, that's kind of meant to be reserved for the for the cup final. And for me, the fact that you did have semi-finals at Old Trafford and Villa Park, those were still really, really special occasions. And like I said, I understand there's a commercial imperative around that once Wembley was rebuilt and, and, and they reopened it. Do you reckon it's time to pull the drawbridge up on that a bit? Because it does feel like the final is less special because of that. Yeah, I think I can see that argument. I can see why some people would say that if the semi-finals are at Wembley, then it takes away from the final being as special as it is. To reach an FA Cup final and play at Wembley is an amazing thing for any team. Maybe to get the magic of the Coupe de France, they could have the final at the Stade de France instead. What do you reckon? Yeah, why not? Mix it up. Why not? Um, but for, I don't know. I'm not sure because f for us last year in the competition, it was it was Millwall for Brighton in the quarterfinals and that was an incredible game that actually, was an amazing it? game and I, again I've got another story about how I managed to watch or not watch that match so um, I always go away in the March international break which is around the FA Cup because yeah. that's when I, I get a little bit of time off after this busy period and um, I'd already booked my flight and I just so happened to be on a plane on the same day at the same time that the Brighton Millwall game was on and 
I was stressing about it because I thought, we no, I, I need to somehow watch this. And mm. I was on a, a, a um, long-haul flight. So there was Wi-Fi on board, but it cost about £100 an hour. You know, the, uh, £100 yeah. a minute, sorry. So I, I managed to log on. It was costing me an absolute fortune and the feed was absolutely terrible. So I couldn't really get a proper feed of the game to watch it. So I was relying on just looking at the text updates on BBC's football website. So that's how I saw how Brighton managed to get back into the game. Right. And then as soon as I landed, I was I was going out to see my parents in Jamaica. As soon as I landed, I said to my dad, Dad, please tell me you've got the, the highlights recorded for me. He's like, I've got it all. Don't worry. Like we can all, we can watch it. And it was obviously amazing that we so managed did you, to get to the semi-finals. Did so, yeah, you watch I, it blind? Y- yeah. So I watched it just on the text updates. So I never actually saw the goals. I just saw the texts coming through saying, Brighton have equalised, da 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 da. All right, so you knew you'd won by the time you watched your highlights. Knew I'd won, knew we'd won, yeah. And knew we'd got to the semi-finals. And and at that moment when I knew Brighton are going to Wembley for the semis, that was a really amazing moment. So Mm. I don't know how I feel about it not being... I guess because I've had first-hand experience of going to a semi-final at Wembley and it being as good as it was, I would... I wouldn't like to see it taken away, but I can see the argument for it. And I and I can see, you know, this weekend coming into the third round, I was really excited. For me, it's still one of the best days in the football calendar when you can have a team in the National League playing a team in the Premier League. And it's super busy for you at yeah. BT as well, isn't it? it is. So you're really properly immersed in it. So mm. you have a slightly different perspective as well. Yeah, I do. And and I, I thought it was a, a brilliant weekend of football. I know that the... The quality of football in some of the games was pretty poor. I'm not going to lie about that. There were some teams who fielded very weakened sides, and but, but football's not just like about uh, football's not just about it being like a Barcelona versus Real Madrid every week, isn't it? Exactly. Whereas there were some amazing stories to come out of this weekend. If we look at Asazi from Sheffield Wednesday, who I think is probably the, one of the stories of the weekend. Released by Wimbledon last week. There's a lot of hand, last um, summer, there's a lot of hand wringing about that on uh, Wimbledon Twitter is there? And, and, and message boards. But, you know, you, you're not to know. I mean, I think Newcastle released Alan, Alan Shearer, for goodness sakes, and ended up buying him back for 15 million quid like 10 years later. Right? These, these things happen. Players do slip through the net and he had some injuries and stuff. Honestly, I'm just delighted for him that he's he's got his game and he's playing. And to see someone so dazzled by that. He was on cloud nine, wasn't he, it, in his it, interview? It's, it's amazing. It was, it was like no polish, no preen about it at all. It was just, wow. It was such a refreshing interview to watch. It really was. You just saw a young lad who had been given the opportunity to play in the first team to play in the FA Cup, which is a competition that, regardless of what anyone says, it's still a big competition in English football. Yeah. It's something that every player will dream of playing in. And to see this young man after the match where Sheffield Wednesday beat Brighton by a goal to nil, that he was just so delighted to have got his opportunity. And when he tells a story of how he'd been through some tough times where he was released from Wimbledon, as you already mentioned, and he didn't know where he was going to go. He didn't know if he'd play professional football again. And mm. then he gets signed up by Sheffield Wednesday, doesn't know if he's going to get a run-in in the team. And then he gets told the day before, you're, you're going to play. You're going to play in this game at, at the Annex. And he's yeah. thinking, I'm going to play at a Premier League ground. I've got to get my dad and my brother down here. Mm. And this post-match interview, he, you can just see, he just he just had this look on his face that was just so much pride, but also humility as well, in the sense that he was like, I can't believe I'm it. not taking this for granted. Yeah. This is my yeah. moment. And it was sure. such a lovely interview. And now we obviously all hope that 
he's proved himself to the manager. I'm sure he had done already, which is why he got a run in, in the team. But now we might see this this guy play in the championship for the rest of the season. He might get more starts in the league. And, you know, I think that that's what the FA Cup can do for young players. And it's similar to Curtis Jones for Liverpool, who scored an absolute worldie, one of the goals of the weekend, probably the goal of the weekend, you've mm. got to say, although there are a couple of brilliant goals in the Fulham match. If you haven't seen those from Knockart and Harry Arter as well, both of those were sensational. But... Knockart comes up again later yeah, in the show. But, always, um... <laughs> always mention Knockart. Um, but yeah, Curtis Jones for Liverpool. I mean, what a story that is. Again, a young lad, I think he's 18 years old, born in Liverpool. He gets a, a start in the FA Cup and scores this goal that will just put him on the map for Liverpool. And 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 that's what this competition can do. It can show the rest of the world, the stars that are available there for the future. So is, is that what it's become? It's become a ground for opportunity because of the changing face of the competition. I mean, I know it's something that... Uh, Luke Moore, Football Rambles Luke Moore has talked about on um, his, his talk sports show, I think, where he, he was saying, you know, people say that big clubs don't take this seriously, but then you look at the winners over the last 10 years and give or take what, Wigan, like, yeah. it's, it's been what, Chelsea, United, Arsenal, Man City, City mm. the, the, the teams you, you would expect really. And you know, that's something that's a Europe-wide trend. You know, you look up until last year, Barcelona had, had won it four times in a row. Um, same with Paris Saint-Germain, um, Juventus. Uh, and, and so it's, it's something that, that happens all over the place. I think it's, it's a point that producer Charlie made, the fact that I think that the, the strength of the biggest teams is such that they are able to field scratch teams for the first couple of rounds and be able to get through it and then really kick on from the quarterfinals or the semifinals. I mean, whenever people talk about the soul of the FA Cup and all this sort of stuff, they always look back to to Manchester United stepping out of the competition um, for, for the World Club Championship 20 years ago. But it's, it's not all down to that. I think the reality of why it's changed is when I was a kid, and I'd be interested to know what, people like under 20 think about this actually if you're listening <laughs> send send in some feedback i'd love to know what you kids? think let's hope so <laughs> well, we're just about to find out aren't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. aren't we or not as the case may be um but for for me when i was growing up the fa cup was special because it was way less football on telly yeah and so it was the excitement of football being on television mm. because when I when I first started watching the FA Cup it was even pre-Sky and even after that you know not everyone had Sky in the first years of the, the Premier League it was considered a, a real privilege rather than now something that's kind of open to open to everyone so I think the fact is that there's there's so much football out there that it does kind of fade into the background a little bit basically you're not pinning it on United is, is, is what yeah. I'm saying I think it's a really good point and, and on that subject of you know, how football has changed over the years and how us as viewers watch it on the telly. And um, I was reading an article uh, from Ronnie Radford, who obviously scored Ooh. that famous FA Cup goal for Hereford. On the muddiest um, pitch ever. Yeah, the worst pitch ever. Um, and I was reading this article and it's such a great story, obviously his story about his football career. And he said that after that FA Cup game, it was actually the first time he'd watched himself on TV play football. He'd never even watched himself on telly play football before and it right. was on match of the day. And obviously... That must be 
utterly surreal. <laughs> yeah. And that's so different to nowadays where obviously every single week, every weekend, you can see highlights of pretty much most teams on telly in some way. Yeah, like but, even 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 if you're playing in the Vanarama. Yeah. There's there's the National League highlight week, show on, yeah. Yeah, on BT Sport. You know, you can watch from most of the professional leagues down to some of, you know, in, in the National League, as you say, you can watch yourself on telly if you're a footballer or you can watch your team's highlights. And that is the reality of it now is that we consume football very differently to how maybe we did 20 years ago. And also in terms of teams making changes, the point you made about the fact there is so much football, especially this time of year, I think that is also a reason for why managers make so many changes, particularly the Premier League managers. Because if you look at the amount of games the Premier League teams particularly have played over the last four weeks, for example, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, we've heard Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp moaning quite a lot about the amount of games they're playing and and the way the fixtures are, are kind of, I don't know how they come up with who plays when, but there are some teams that had less than two days to prepare for their next Premier League match over mm. Christmas. And, and then it comes around to the third round of the FA Cup, which is so early on in January. Of course, managers are going to make changes. That doesn't necessarily mean that they don't take the cup seriously. So I think it's a lot of it is down to the way the competition is run alongside the domestic leagues because yeah. the, the, the the games are so close together that of course managers are going to make changes just because a manager makes a change in a Premier League game no one says oh you know they don't care about this Premier League match of course they do but you have to rotate your squad you look at Newcastle and the amount of injuries they've now got in their team particularly I think they've, they've got, got quite a, a little squad as well they've got they? a small squad yeah. they have a lot of injuries to contest with now and I think that teams have to make changes for for different matches regardless of what competition it's in I'm looking at the Brighton team from the Sheffield Wednesday game and Graham Potter made seven changes for that Mm. however we still had quite a few of our first team Premier League players that that start most games in the Premier League that started that game. But the reason why it sounds like so many changes, seven changes, because he'd made so many changes for the Premier League game before. So actually, you look at the spine of the team, you still had more pay up top. We still had Stevens in midfield and still had Webster at the back. That was just, there's three of our players that play every single game. We still had Pascal Gross starting. and But the thing is, is because there were so many changes for the match before. It sounds like he made a lot of changes, but actually our team was still pretty strong playing against Sheffield Wednesday. It was just a really poor performance. And you could say that about a lot of the teams. Like Chelsea only made, I think, two changes Frank Lampard made. That, to me, is the sign of a manager who is taking the competition seriously, even though this is only the third round and it's the first time Chelsea are playing in the competition this season. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't think you can pin it on United or Chelsea or, or, or City or any of those. If I was going to make the argument that, that the, the status of the FA Cup has been affected, I do think the Premier League has had an influence on it. But I think it's because the effects of relegation are so potentially ruinous mm-hmm. that I, th- I think you look at the, the bottom half of the, the, the Premier League, they're the ones, a lot of them, who've abdicated from uh, abdicated responsibility and said, you know, we're not we're not really that fussed about about the FA Cup anymore. I mean, you know, you look at the changes that Watford went through, and in yeah. the end, they're going to get punished for the next yeah. game, aren't, yeah. aren't, aren't they? And I I do think this is a a massive issue. And you know, speaking to friends who are fans of Newcastle, Southampton, teams like that, I know that a lot of them feel a lot of frustration that 
you know, in a league that they're never going to win and never going to get in the top four, why don't their coaches, why don't their clubs take the competition more seriously because it is the chance of, as you say, that day in the sun, like yeah. when, when you get to the semi or, or, or the final or hopefully from their perspective, even go on, a, on and win it. I would say that those teams are devaluing the FA Cup. I mean, I, I was talking at the beginning when Wimbledon beat West Ham last year and obviously I'm slightly bitter about it still because <laughs> I used my January leisure football credit on going to see us get absolutely smashed at Ainsley <laughs> nice, Fleetwood yeah. because I thought, oh, well, I can see the West Ham game on the, on, on the telly so I can see both of them. Dreadful mistake mm, as, as okay, it happened yep. because we went on despite being bottom of, of League One to, to beat West Ham. But even enjoying it as, as, as much as I did and Wimbledon were t- terrific on the, on the day, I looked at West Ham and thought, you know, not there, there, are, there are players out there expensively bought players who really just don't give a shit about this. Mm. And and that is not a great feeling, I think, from from their perspective. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's partly a, a product of the environment, isn't it? I, I don't think it's the players thinking, all oh, right, we'll just not turn up today. But I think the, the team selection and the atmosphere around the training ground and all that sort of stuff in the days leading up to the game, yeah. that sets the tone and that affects the way they, they played the game. And, you know, West Ham, like, almost got back into the game from 3-0 down after like really only pulling their finger out for 15 minutes but there there wasn't much by that they just looked like they didn't fancy it at all Mm. it it definitely has to be a mentality issue I think doesn't it like what you're describing there is that there must be the way that the team are managed in the lead up to the game that sets them up for whether they're going to absolutely go for it and the player's attitude or whether they're not too fussed about it. And there were definitely moments that you could see like that on the pitch over the weekend where you could tell the teams that cared more than others, couldn't you? Mm. But I think that's that's natural. That is going to happen because there are going to be teams that have other things that are more important to them. And And as you say, they're probably a bit tired. Yeah, and and yeah, and they are. They're probably knackered by this point. But also, I do think that you know, the the point you made earlier that Luke was making on, on TalkSport is a really good one because the the Premier League teams and the, and the teams higher up in the pyramid, so even teams in the championship, they have the ability to make changes and still field a pretty strong side. Yeah. And so therefore, they're still probably going to be better than a National League side, even with the changes that they've made. Or, or most championship sides. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that w- when those changes are made and teams still have the ability to beat other teams. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because managers have to rotate their squads. And then you do see that when it gets a little bit further into the competition, where also naturally the domestic football has slowed down by that point, Mm. you see the Premier League teams starting to field their strongest side because the competition is important. I don't think the magic of the cup is lost. I mean, I'm gutted that we weren't in the draw last night, Brighton. Like, not to see our ball come up as an option and see who we're going to be facing in the next round of the FA Cup. I was absolutely gutted not to be in the draw. Even for you guys, I'm sure you guys who report on the game think, Jesus, we've got another game this week. It's ridiculous. And five games some of them have played now. Five games in 15 days. And then they question you, you know, whether your training methods are right. They haven't trained. Nobody can train. They just they just recover. And, uh, and unfortunately, when you play tired, this is the consequence and and, um, and we bore the brunt of it, unfortunately. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. A happy new year to you. Um, So we're going to be talking about transfers in just a few minutes time. Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea and Everton. Four of the clubs we're going to be focusing on, particularly now that the January transfer window has opened and who those teams need. But as always, we love hearing from you. And as we haven't been in for over a week, because we've been off for Christmas and New Year, we've got quite a few, Andy, haven't we? Yeah, we have. uh, A few happy new year ones, which are very nice to to, receive. For one from Ginger Chris saying, I've been listening to you both from the start. Such a lovely surprise when I see the podcast pop up on my phone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Chris, and to, to, to everyone listening. There's a great one here that I know you'll like from uh, Justin Griffith. Uh, we're getting ones from all over the world at the moment. We've had ones from uh, New Zealand, China. This one's from uh, America. That's where Justin is. Hello, I'm an American Hi, who's been following the Premier League and been a fan of Newcastle United since 2014. Thoughts and prayers now accepted. Uh, I'd like to state that not only is Brighton not my second favourite team <laughs> but they are my most hated non-Sunderland oh, team uh, I, I, the, the title of this email is uh, let's bring some balance to the pod which we're, <laughs> we're all it, in favour of he goes on to say this is a result of our shared year in the championship where yep. you dove your way great past participle there dove your way to unlimited penalties and still came second I genuinely genuinely hope Anthony Knockhart stubs his toe once a day every day from now until the wrap <laughs> Love the pod and uh, you're both great. So nothing personal. Who are the lads? <laughs> P.S. P- I have no strong feelings one way or the other towards Wimbledon. You know, that actually makes me feel worse. I reckon you, <laughs> I was going to say, I reckon he could be converted then, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think Knockart is one of those players who everyone hates unless he plays for your team. When he plays for your team, you absolutely love him. I mean, his goal for Fulham in the FA Cup at the weekend was unbelievable. What a goal that was. Yeah, it's pretty good. I I, I think there's a lot to like about him, especially if you don't support Palace or share (laughs) the same feelings as uh, Justin. (laughs) Love those emails. All right, let's talk January transfer window because it's um, one of the things we look forward to in football, isn't it? Seeing who's going to sign who in January and strengthen their squad for the second part of the season. Uh, The reason why we decided to focus on these four clubs is because it would take us forever to go through every Premier League team. And there's some interesting stories bubbling uh, under, particularly at Manchester United, where they clearly need 
to do something in the January transfer window, particularly in midfield, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, they do. And um, they've been linked with uh, Bruno Fernandes of uh, Sporting, who's probably the best midfielder in Portugal and has been for a while. Tottenham credited with an interest in him. Of course, uh, Jose Mourinho coming out right at the beginning of his tenure and saying, look, we don't have the money for a player like that, which is pretty honest. Although, <laughs> this is Jose Mourinho. Is, yep. And the other thing is, Sporting are in financial trouble. They have to have a sale uh, this this winter. Obviously, uh, their captain and best player is probably the last player they, they, they want to sell. But that, that, that doesn't mean that it's, it's not going to happen. Mm. I mean, when we talk about the January transfer window, there's always a bit of desperation. If you've planned it well at the start of the season and everything's gone according to that plan, you're basically not buying or selling anyone yeah. in January. Mm. You might loan a player out to get some minutes, but that's that's about it. Or so, you do what Liverpool did and just sign Minamino before January window actually technically opens. Like they, yeah. they, they got him in, played him in the FA Cup, and I don't can't see Liverpool doing much other business in January. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that, I think that's different because he had a release clause that they became aware of and it's it's just an opportunity. Mm. Sometimes you do have an opportunity and there is an opportunity for for value in 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 the in the winter window. But I think with Manchester United, I mean, you know, every time we talk about them turning a the corner, that they go and disprove us like immediately <laughs> afterwards. I mean, I know like the, the Arsenal fans that we know are very, very excited about the way that they played against Arsenal and they're all flushed with the optimism of Arteta and that's great and we'll come to that in a, a, a little bit. But it, it, it does show that Manchester United are not really going anywhere fast. Yeah, and I think obviously the the situation in terms of midfield is particularly difficult because of everything that's going on with Paul Pogba like no one knows what is going on with him is he actually injured you know yeah he's having an operation he's having an operation isn't he but prior to that announcement that he had a fracture in his foot there was all this stuff before that where is he or isn't he injured because he was seen dancing at his brother's wedding and all that kind of stuff. And now it's like, okay, he actually is injured. So why didn't we just know that a few weeks ago? Everyone's seen, the Jules, everyone's seen someone dancing at a wedding in, on crutches. <laughs> no. I mean, that, that's, that's normal. That's um, just a wedding. Yeah, it's just to be fair. But I think now it's got to a point where he's been out of the United team in terms of consistency for quite a while that he doesn't even feel part of what is their first team anymore? It's almost a I mean? season without him. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like he might as well go. That's that's the way I look at it as an onlooker at Manchester United. Is like what where what is his place? And when you've got a player that's obviously earning that much money, who you could probably still get quite a lot of money for, yeah. is it not best to let them go and sell them? I, I don't really know what Paul Pogba's situation is in terms of does he want to stay at Manchester United, but he was linked away in the summer, so that's a situation where they obviously have to deal with who would replace Pogba and obviously in the short term because he is injured and he's not probably not going to play for at least the next couple of months he you know they need someone in that midfield particularly a creative midfielder don't they yeah I mean Fernandes would fit the bill if they can get him not just because he can make those late runs into the box and score goals this is a guy who scored over 30 goals from midfield last season because he's got that great range of passing. You know, he grew up as a footballer in Italy and he has got those sort of tactical smarts, which I think are quite important. I think going back to the games over over Christmas, when they played Newcastle on Boxing Day United, wasn't it? Boxing Day. I mean, I know Pogba came on when the game was pretty much done and now we know in retrospect he wasn't like properly fit as mm. well. Um, 
but, but it does make a difference. It makes a massive, massive. difference yeah, yeah. having having a player like that, and uh, you know, just the the step up he is from their other midfielders. Mm. I think is you know it's it's absolutely clear as day. So if they do have someone with that extra little bit of class, that that will make an enormous difference to them. I think. Yeah. Well, Jesse Lingard hasn't exactly played that well this season he's not no. really played that much either I think it's very interesting to hear yesterday that he's signed up with Mino Raiola now I mean yeah. what is that about well he's gonna have some famous contacts in his mm. uh in his phone from now on isn't he um but, but, uh, it's, it's it's very interesting in, indeed I mean when you get a new agent it either means I'm fishing for a new contract or I'm fishing for a move you know there, there, there's there's no two ways about that um as, as you say, he has underperformed so so far this season. Obviously, I think we have to take into account the stuff that's been happening for him off the pitch, which hasn't been easy at all. But I think the thing is with Lingard, you can look at him and think, uh, there's there's a young player making his way. He's not young anymore. Mm. He's, he's, he's not young. He's, what, 27? Yeah. And, you know, at some point, he's got he's to kick on or just be a peripheral player at, at, at Manchester United. Now, maybe a January move is... Is, is not ideal for him, given what he's dealing with on a, on, on a personal level. I think you, you have to consider that as well. And it's something that's often not considered, isn't it, in, in, in January, like making a move for, for some players, you know, they're people, and it means turning your life upside upside down, maybe living away from home, maybe living away from your family. You know, can you um, get new schools for your kids? And, mm. you know, will, will your partner need to get a new job? All that sort of stuff is stuff that you have to deal with on on the hoof and is incredibly disruptive to someone's life and and potentially to to their performance as well you know could you be living in a hotel for 3 months with like two small kids or or or, or whatever you know it's it's something that's that's difficult to deal with but in a purely football level i i think lingard could do the move because yeah. I, I still think he could be re- a really useful player for for another team yeah i think so too well the the, the rumor was that the, there was the switch with James Madison at Leicester City plus 40 million, I think is what I that read. That seems a bit I mean, light. I, I can't see that happening. I also can't see right now in January any of the Leicester team wanting a move away. No. Why would they? Because the no. other the other one was Ben Chilwell moving to Chelsea where they clearly need a left back. And I, I, again, I can't. why would Chilwell want to move to Chelsea? I, I just don't see any of these Leicester players who are playing in Brendan Rodgers' side at the moment who are clearly playing with such a great team spirit they all know their jobs they're playing so well yeah why would any of them leave Leicester the, the, I just don't see is, that happening especially in January exactly if you do want more money which is quite understandable wait till the summer mm. I mean if you keep playing like you're playing for the rest of the, the, the season at Leicester those clubs are still going to want you in the in the summer aren't they mm. I think it's interesting that, that, that you mentioned Chelsea actually Jules because there's been so much talk about them, not just this week, but over several weeks since we've had the news that their that their transfer ban has been rescinded for for this window. I, I mean, there's almost a, a school of thought that it's been a little bit disruptive to them that they knew yeah. that they had this unique season that they had to deal with, and now having had such positivity from that, they're now thinking a bit bigger and mm. where can we improve? Where are we going to grow from there and clearly there are some 
bits that they have to deal with. And ideally, they would they would get a few more more bodies in. But the names thrown at Chelsea are so many random names. I mean, you're talking about the left back David Alaba of of Bayern has has been linked. I think that's incredibly unlikely, and that's a very very difficult move to do in January especially and you know I think we can overlook the fact that big transfers are really difficult to piece together in such a, a short period of time that's why we you don't really ever been... see any big ones happen in January really do and, we and if you do they often backfire mm. like like Fernando Torres and Andy Carroll and, and ones like that I'm not, I'm not just getting at Liverpool here obviously they made quite <laughs> a lot of money off the Torres deal still um, but you know I, I think that's a that's a very difficult deal to do what what about Arsenal? We talked about Arsenal before. Yeah, well, I mean, every Arsenal fan I speak to says we need a whole new defence. Yeah. And that's obviously going to be what Arteta's targeting. I mean, from from the the couple of matches that we've seen Arteta in charge in so far, I can't get over what a different team they were against Manchester United. It's incredible. It was amazing. The mentality was completely different. And that is the Arsenal side. I think Arsenal fans have been crying out to see this season because mm. they played with aggression, determination. They wanted that win more than anything. Yeah. And that I think Arteta is already, if he can get the team playing like that every week in the Premier League, I think they've got quite a good thing going. They just need to really sort out their defence and they absolutely need to keep hold of Aubameyang because obviously there was lots of rumours about whether Aubameyang would potentially leave more likely to happen in the summer if he was going to leave and I think yes. he was linked with Barcelona wasn't he uh, for a move in the summer I think they need to hold on to Aubameyang because that is massive um, but yeah for me watching them against Manchester United I think it was the first time that Ozil, Lacazette, Aubameyang and Pepe had actually started a game together this season which when you think about it they're four best players why on earth haven't they started together this season? It's crazy when you think about that. But they've clearly got a good thing going midfield and, and up front. They just really need to sort out their defence because I think they've got a brilliant goalkeeper. So yeah. who do Arsenal go in for and, and who do they want? I'm not really I'm not really sure. Well, the, well, the, the, the big name that's been linked so far is Jerome Boateng uh, from, from Bayern. Uh, he would like to move. Is that realistic? Uh, that, they've, they've been keen to move him on for, mm. for a while. Um, I think there are, there, there are two big issues here uh, f- firstly that well that that's that's a huge issue and mm. the fact that he's had recurrent injuries for some seasons I mean let's go back to the 2014 World Cup he was the best defender in the world at that point he was absolutely phenomenal he is not that player anymore um, he's easy to catch out especially with the ball over the top um, which I think is a is a big issue if you're, you're, you're playing for Arsenal. Um, and I think, you know, you think that Jose Mourinho always moaned about he, he didn't get that extra centre-half that he wanted for Manchester United. Well, one of the ones he wanted was Jerome Boateng. And the, the way that Boateng's played over the last two seasons, well, he, he wouldn't have been a massive upgrade on on, on what they have. So um, I think just, you know, plucking a recognisable name and hoping for the best, pretty much like they did with David Luiz, is, is, is not the way forward. I, no. I think... When you look at the successful signings at the beginning of the Emery era, and they were successful signings at the beginning of the Emery era, and you look at, uh, quite rightly point out, Leno as being being one of those. They weren't sexy signings. Mm. But that's not what they need at the moment. David Luiz, not a sexy signing. <laughs> <laughs> too sexy, <laughs> some too would say. But like, you look at the, the front half of that team, you've got all the excitement you mm-hmm. need. As, as, as you say, that's the, that's the last thing they need. They need some... Proper good, defenders, proper stodge. Yeah, they do. Uh, back, back there, uh, uh, I think. I'm interested to see what Everton do. I am. Because the Carlo Ancelotti factor does add something. I mean, in my view, 
the last thing they need is to go out and buy load more players. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. After, after what's happened for them yeah. over the last couple of years, and like the instability has clearly affected like the last two two coaches. An interesting name that's been linked with them on on the continent over the last um, few days, and a real sort of. Ancelotti muse James Rodriguez mm. I mean I don't think wow what a move that would be uh, exactly I, I, see that's my reaction immediately I don't know if it's right and you know they've got a lot of number 10 type players already but I mean come on it's wow. James Rodriguez yeah. he's going to be better than any of them yeah uh, this is this is the draw for for Everton getting Ancelotti is yeah. that he can attract those kind of players I mean yeah. it would be an unbelievable move we've already seen what a transformation Everton have had under Ancelotti already. And I think that, I think they're going to be a real success under him. He just needs to, as you say, get the signings right. They've spent so much money over the last couple of years that they need to make sure they're sensible with with who they buy and, and in what position as well. But I think Ancelotti can lure anyone in with his eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Eyebrows or eyebrow? Yeah. <laughs> when when you watch one of them move, you do notice the other one. It's starting to twitch a bit. It's getting a bit jealous. It's like I want in on this eyebrow action. I think it's just the temperature, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I'd like us to get back to um, some of your correspondence before we get out of here. Uh, there's a really interesting one here from uh, Andy Clapton. Again, wishing us Happy New Year. Happy New Year to, to, to you too, Andy. And it says, uh, love listening to the show on my cycle to work in Shanghai. Yes, nice. love it. And um, I hope your cycling will one ear out, by the way. Very, <laughs> very important from a safety perspective. And it adds an important and entertaining perspective to the Ramble package. Uh, Jurgen Klopp was asked a really great question about mental health in, in football managers at the end of the press conference ahead of the Liverpool-Brighton match. And I wondered if you might talk about it. I'm sure Jules will have watched this. He seemed to touch flummoxed by the question as if he had never really come across mental health issues or had to think about mental health as a manager. It was a bit of a curveball as a question, but nonetheless, I was slightly surprised he was not more ready to respond. I work as a teacher and mental health is constant on the day-to-day agenda in education in students and sometimes teachers too. This week has refocused the nation's attention on mental health, especially with all the FA Cup matches being delayed by by a minute for that. Um, uh, but is it still taboo for managers to have mental health issues? Off the top of my head, I can think of Martin Ling, first chapter of Living in the Volcano, a wonderful book, of course, by Mike Calvin, previous guest on Ramble Meets, and Gary Speed. And elsewhere, it seems uh, to be something that is not talked about very much, and this is supported to some extent by uh, Klopp's response. Would love to hear you talk about this. We should do a great job of exploring some of the darker and more challenging aspects of our beautiful game. Well, thanks for that, Andy. Yeah. I think we'll discuss that in greater length maybe, maybe next week, because mm. that is something we really need to get our teeth into. It's, it's a really interesting thing, and I think if you're looking at areas of football and working in football where people might have mental health issues, I think managers, head coaches, they're the most obvious one, really. Because where do you break? Where do you get time off? It is absolutely all-consuming. And I think we've seen the sporting director come into football more and more over the last couple of years. And even English clubs who are super resistant to it have, have got on board because you've got to accept they are head coaches now. They can't be managers. There's too much. Football is too layered, especially in what we were talking about just before, dealing with transfers. You can't do that and pick and coach the team at the same time. Yeah, and that's the thing is that there are, there are some football managers that are just a coach and then there are some that do both the managing and the coaching, aren't yeah. there? And, and the, frankly, you shouldn't. Yeah, and the mental health side, it's so important across any industry, any type of work life. I think that it's a really important issue, Andy. So uh, I completely agree that we should uh, 
give that a bit more time on next week's pod. Yeah. So let's do that. And uh, we're just going to finish off uh, with this one from Jeff Holt on Twitter, who uh, says, Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year, Jeff. Thanks for your questions, as always. Uh, he says, which three players from history that you share an initial with do you admire the most? So Jeff Holt is obviously a GH. He says, if you can match both initials, then the better. So he says, mine are Jeff Hurst and Glenn Hoddle. I mean, you've got it easy there. You've got you've got some good ones there. Tell everyone his third one. And George Haggie. I mean, honestly, that's that's outrageous. Ridiculous. He's, he's lucked out with the initials there. Is you Jeff. have? Uh, I, mean, I, I think we need to think about this. Yeah, I think we need JB to, for me. I think we need to think of it. But I've AB I've got I've, I've thought about it already. I've have got you? I've got a, a World Cup final winning goalscorer. Andreas Bremer for West Germany oh, in 1990. Nice. There you go. He's in. He's straight in. All right. Well, I'm going to have to have a think about mine because um, at the moment I've got Jimmy Bullard and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to take it all back oh. about Jerome Burton. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got a problem. <laughs> See, there you go. I need to have a proper think, Jeff. Uh, thanks for all your messages, as always. Your tweets, your emails. Keep them coming in. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Have a good one. This was a Stakhanov production. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.